Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together. And notice that the enemy picked this fight. And they went to the area that normally they fight at. Know that the enemy will sometimes pick the fight. And he'll aim at areas that he thinks you're the weakest at. Or the areas you've just gotten used to fighting at. Too many of us have gotten used to fighting instead of getting used to winning. Are you expecting to fight or are you expecting to win? So when you wake up in the morning and say, oh, it's going to be a fight or it's like, is it going to be a victory? You know you're going to have to fight. You already know that. But are you expecting to fight or are you expecting to win? What is your expectation for the day? So the Philistines have gathered together. The Israelites gather together. They think it's going to be a normal battle, and a lot of us know this story. And suddenly from the Philistine ranks comes this nine-foot-tall dude. The New Living Translation says it this way, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So they thought it was just going to be a normal fight against the Philistines, something they're used to. But all of a sudden comes the champion of the Philistines. Someone who was nine foot tall. And he begins his process of fear and intimidation. And he says, why should we all go to battle? Just one person. He says, you servants of Saul. And we're servants, we're the Philistines. You pick one champion to fight me. And if I lose, we serve you. But if you lose, you serve us. And all the Israelites were afraid. And notice the Saul and the Israelites. Now, why does this Saul? Well, Saul was the tallest Israelite. And so in natural thinking, it makes sense Saul goes to battle. It says he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. But Saul was way back in his tent, afraid just like the rest of the Israelites. But there was this teenager named David, the shepherd boy, too young to be in the army. So he was taking care of his flock, and his dad came to him and said, hey, I want you to check on your brothers and see how they're doing. Take this food to your brothers and to their captain and let me know how they're doing. So David, on an Uber Eats assignment, goes to the battlefield. He's not there, even though he's a psalmist, he's not there to be the psalmist. He's not there to be shepherd. He is there to deliver food. Sometimes your greatest victories can come on days you don't expect it. 
that you're just doing what seems normal, what seems natural, what seems, oh, this is just a normal day, and all of a sudden you are positioned for an unprecedented victory that has the potential to change your life forever. I wonder if David woke up that morning thinking his life was going to change forever that day. Now, he's had some big moments in the past. Samuel, the big preacher, the prophet of the day, came by and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and his family, said he'll be the future king of Israel. He's had some big days. But after that big day, he just went back to the field. So who knows what he was expecting that day as he showed up on the battlefield, giving food to his brothers. And as he's there, he hears Goliath come out, saying, I defy the armies of Israel this day. And Goliath begins his taunt, his jeering, and everybody in Israel runs backwards, terrified. And this is the first time David hears it. And notice what his response was. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as he come up, and it shall be that the man who kills him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, whoa, 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 whoa. What shall be done to this man that kills this Philistine takes this approach away from Israel? So what is David motivated by? The reward. He says, I married the princess, I become rich, and I become tax-free. Sounds good to me. I've been with the sheep a mighty long time. It's time for a change. But notice his response. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, uncircumcised Philistine is not like an ancient insult. What it is, is he's saying uncircumcised. Remember, circumcision was a symbol of the old covenant. So he said, who is this person that doesn't have a covenant to stand against the people who have the covenant? Now, we know what David's going to do. How many know what David's going to do? It's not a spoiler. How many know that David's going to take down Goliath? We know the story. Even people who don't even believe the Bible know the story. So I, I'll tell you this. David's whole point was, I have a covenant. This giant doesn't. Which leads me to believe anybody on that battlefield could have taken down Goliath. It wasn't just David. Anybody on that battlefield could have taken down Goliath because David took down Goliath because he said, I have a covenant. Victory was assured to David because he had a covenant, which means knowing your covenant is essential to walking in victory. So today we're going to talk about two things you need to know before you enter the ring. Two things you need to know before you enter the ring. Number one, your covenant. Before David took on Goliath, he knew his covenant. A covenant is a mutual consent or agreement of two or more persons to do or forbear some act or thing. It's a contract. It's a stipulation. A covenant is created by deed and writing, sealed and executed, or it may be implied in the contract, a writing containing the terms of agreement or contract between parties or the clause of agreement in a deed containing the covenant. And so one of the things you see all throughout the word of God is that your covenant guarantees you victory. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. 
Because if you're going to take and hold the high ground, you need to know that your covenant guarantees you victory. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So notice in this verse 3, when God says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. What does that mean? I'm going to empower those that do good to you. But those that come against you, they're coming against me. They fight you, they fight me. So if Abraham really wanted to, he could say, you want to say hello to my little friend. You, you think it's just me in this? So something you have to look at your life. See, people may look down on you thinking that you can't do this because of your age, your gender, your race, your background, your education. There's a whole list of things where people look down on you, but know in life you're not in this by yourself. You're in covenant with the almighty God. So that means you can stare Satan in the face and says, you know what, you may not be bothered by me, but the dude standing behind me, he beat you 2,000 years ago. And he already told me what it's going to do to you in the future. You don't want to try me. See, you tried Jesus. You should have learned. Don't mess with me. You have to take on this mentality of victory because you have a covenant. Not because you feel you have faith today. Not because you feel blessed and way up today. No, you take this mentality. I'm going to win today because I have a covenant I know his word. It's not based on how I feel. It's not based on what I heard. It's not based on the news. It's not based on politicians. I have victory because I have a covenant. You see, even when God's covenant people got them into battles they were not supposed to be in, God still fought for them. Well, how do you know that? Joshua. God already warned him, you know, don't make covenants with all these other people. And so... There's this one wise city that realized, look, Joshua's winning every single battle. Let's not be like the stupid people and fight him. So, and they, they came up this way. You got to give them props. Because they said, let's find some old clothes. Find the oldest clothes in the city. Find some moldy bread. Find some bags that have holes in it. And they got all the nobles dressed up in it. And they walked less than a day's journey to Joshua. And they said, we come from a far, far away. We're, don't worry about us far, 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 far away, galaxy way far away. And said, hey, we just, you know what, we're going to serve you. Just promise not to take us out. And Joshua didn't pray about it. It seemed good to him. You know, how many have ever made decisions that seemed good to you, but you find it later like, oops. And so they find out that they're like next door neighbors. But because Joshua promised that he'll take care of them, they're in covenant now. And then the rest of the land figures out that this group allied with Joshua, so they said, we're going to attack them. So now Joshua is battling multiple armies in a battle he didn't have to fight that day. But now he's in a situation he created. But he was still in covenant with God. 
he got wisdom from God and he goes out to battle and then they're winning but the day is almost over and there was still more victory to be achieved so Joshua does something that no one has before or since looked at the sun and the moon and says hold on how does that even occur to anyone that you can talk to the sun and the moon and say hold on a second now Joshua doesn't know all the laws of physics what does it take so if the sun and the moon stop the universe is going to mess up unless other things stop and change too he didn't know all those details he just had the spirit of faith that moved him and say hold on and everything else that needed to change and bow down to the law of faith did not because he knew everything he just knew who he was with and if that wasn't enough God says yes he's winning but I'm going to get involved God started throwing hailstones from heaven to help his man win so if God would do all that for Joshua under an old covenant and a battle he created for himself, what will God do for you today in a new covenant based on better promises? You're washed in the blood. You got the Holy Ghost on the inside and upon you and angels at your side. If he did that under the old covenant, what does he want to do for you today? Do you know your covenant enough to expect victory like that? Genesis 22. Genesis 22. On the mount, in this set place, Mount Moriah, means an appointed place, is a place God picked out. And Abraham renamed that place. He called that place Jehovah Jireh. You know, that name means the God who sees and provides. And so. Jehovah Jireh is a name of God, a character, got an attribute of God, but it's also a place that provides a perspective. From this mount, I see that my God sees me and provides. The name also means the God who sees to it. On this mount, I have the perspective that God sees to it. Doesn't matter what's going on, my God will see to it. So I challenge you, don't come down from the mount of Jehovah Jireh. Don't come down from the perspective that you have a covenant with God. So it doesn't matter what I face, my God will see to it. He sees me and provides for me. And on this mount, with this perspective, notice what God says through the angel. Verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sandwich upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Notice, this is part of the covenant of blessing. Your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. They will take it. The gates were the place of commerce, place of influence, place of authority. It's where business was done. It's where the elders said, so if you took the gate, you have the city. So he said, your seed will take the gates of the enemy. Your seed will take and hold the high ground. Go to Leviticus 26. Victory is all throughout your covenant. Leviticus 26 verse 1. 
Notice what God says, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1. You shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image. Neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my commandments and keep my commandments and do them, then will I give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my what? Covenant with you. I would say if five people chase a hundred, a hundred chase ten thousand, that sounds like victory to me. Go to Deuteronomy 28. It's all throughout your covenant. Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. You know, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's pretty much two sermons, a very long sermons of Moses right before he leaves the earth. Recounting the history and the promises of God. Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. The Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I don't know about you, but that sounds like victory to me. Go to Joshua 23. We just talked about him for a moment. Let's look at Joshua 23. You know, we're used to, you know, presidents giving farewell addresses, and Joshua 23 is Joshua's farewell address. Joshua 23, verse 1. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age, and Joshua called for all of Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be inheritance for your tribes. From Jordan, with all the nations that I've cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And you shall possess their land, as the Lord your God has promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom from, to the right hand or to the left, that ye come down among these nations that remain among you, neither make mention of name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow down yourselves unto them. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as you have done unto this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you until this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fights for you, and as he has promised you. So notice the promises, God will fight for you. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you, that you love the Lord your God. So all these things under the law in the book of Joshua, part of the covenant, right, that David knew. So when David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
or who is this giant with no covenant? It's recalling all these things from Genesis to Leviticus to Deuteronomy through Joshua. He's recalling these times. The book of Joshua is just a couple hundred years before David lived. It's not that long. He remembered what God did. He remembered what God promised. And instead of keeping it in the past, he said, if God did it before, he can do it again. And so when he faced Goliath, he faced them knowing, I have a covenant. If God did it for Joshua, if he did it for Moses, if he did it for Abraham, he can do it for me. Say, he can do it for me. All of you watching at home, say, he can do it for me. So number one, know your covenant. Go back to 1 Samuel 17 as we begin to close. First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. Verse 31. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed it before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, this dude with no covenant, shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with you. Number two, we said, number one, know your covenant. Number two, know your history with God. Know your history with God. See, David, this teenager standing before the king, the king says, dude, I thought when they said someone's going to take him on, I thought I was going to have an experienced warrior. You are a teenager. This dude has been killing people since he was a teenager. And what does David respond to that? You know, there was a time when a bear came and took a sheep from my flock. I went out after the bear. Most of us were like, oh, poor little lamb. See you, lammy. It's been good. But that was not the person David was. He went out after the bear. Hit the bear over the head. So it drops the lap. And then when the bear comes against him, he kills the bear with his bare hands. He does the same thing for a lion. He grabs a lion by its mane and kills it. And he knows he did this because the Lord was with him. He said, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the bear and out of the paw of the lion. So I know he'll do the same to this Philistine. He knew his history with God. We are all at this point. 
that we're here because God preserved us. We all have different stories why we shouldn't be here. All different reasons why we should be gone already. Several different testimonies of how we made it to this point. Even blocking out last year, you still had several ways, but then you also made it through last year. And now you're here. You have a history with God. A history of testimonies of God's faithfulness. Of times he brought you through when you were faithless. And times he brought you through when you were faithful. Times he brought you through when you were stupid and didn't know it was him doing it. That you thinking you're on your own world, but God still got you through. And then now you look back and say, oh, I don't know how I made it through. I know how because I know who did it. So we all have stories of times when we didn't know how we were going to win the next battle. Or where the provision or the healing or the strength or the wisdom or the help was going to come from. But it always showed up. And yet we're still here. We all have histories with God. And before you get in the ring, you need to know and remember your history with God. See, David was able to take on Goliath because he knew his history with God. You might say, well, that wasn't a long history. He's just a teenager. But what he knew was enough to take down the giant. And I'm telling you, if you know your covenant, know what your history with God is, it's like, well, I just got saved last week. You still have a history with God. Because the fact that you made it this long to get saved last week means all the time when you weren't walking with God, didn't know God, didn't care about God, he was still working behind the scenes, keeping you, delivering you, protecting you, bringing you to a place where you can make a decision for him. Giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, although we should take the first opportunity, but some of us did not take the first opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Some of y'all took a long, 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 long time. And so even before you're saved, you had a history with God. After you've been saved, you have a history with God. Before you get in the ring, you need to know your history with God. See, remember one of the ways God is identified in the Old Testament, even the New, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the name of the covenant-keeping God, but it's also the name that shows you he has a history. Because every time he said that, they remember what God did for Abraham. Every time they said they remember what God did for Isaac, you think, well, Abraham was a superhero of faith. He had his issues, but at least he had great faith. True. Isaac, he was a man of great faith. He did a lot of great things he did. And Jacob, well, let's talk about Jake for a second. Because his name means trickster. That's what his name means. He was tricking when he came out the room, grabbing on Esau's heel, supplanter, that's what the name means. And you watch, you know, there's some family drama. You know, Isaac's favorite was Esau. Rebecca's favorite was Jake, and, you know, that always causes issues. And, you know, Jake wanted the birthright. And so Esau was hungry. He was, you know, hangry and exaggerating. He says, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. No, Esau, you'll be fine. But he despised the birthright and traded it for a pot of beans. So Jake got the birthright. And then his mother came to him and gave, gave him this plan. and said, hey, you can get the blessing too. Here's what you do. And so he did it, got the blessing, and then had to run for his life. And so you see 
that, you know, some of you think you can get away with everything for a while. There's always someone trickier than you. And Jake may have his uncle Laban who was trickier than him. And so you see throughout Jacob's life, the times he was in faith and the time he was himself. But God was still faithful to him. God said, I'll still do what I promised Abraham and Isaac to you. And so you go through these things that God even appeared and wrestled with Jake. To the point that one encounter with God marked him so much he walked different for the rest of his life. But he even looked throughout his life and sometimes he was in, after that sometimes he was in faith and sometimes he was not. But God changed his name on the day he wrestled with him. He called him Israel, right? Which means prince with God. He renamed him. I'm not calling you trickster anymore. I'm calling you prince with God. Then why would God call himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about that. Why didn't he say God, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? The good side of Jacob's life. How about we just acknowledge the good side of Jacob's life? Let's edit out all the rest. You see, your God, although he may not like what you did and told you not to do it and forgave what you did, is still not ashamed of you. On your worst days, he still identifies with you and says, yep, they're mine. You see what they did? They're mine. You see what they did? They're mine. Did you see that challenge they posted on TikTok? They're still mine. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he's patient with you. Yep, he didn't do what you're supposed to do today, but he's working with you because he knows the future he's planned for you. Aren't you glad that God didn't judge you by your past? Some of us were never made it into the house of God. Some of you never thought you'd make it into the house of God either. Some of you still shocked yourself. Ooh, I'm in church today. Look at Jesus. Oh, Jesus forever. But that shows you the love and kindness of your God. Then we call him God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember we have a history with him. And then remember when God spoke to Joshua and said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now to us, you know, we have the hindsight of studying. It's, oh, look what God did for Moses. But see, it wasn't a matter of study for Joshua because he was there. Joshua was with Moses the whole time in the wilderness. Maybe even sometimes before they left Egypt. So he saw it firsthand. And the God said, remember what I did? Remember your history with me? I'll do it again. Then you get to Matthew 16. When God has already, Jesus already fed the 5,000, the crowd, that's probably about 20,000 people. And then he fed the 4,000. And so not too long after that, they're on another road trip. And there's someone, one of the disciples forgot to bring lunch. And so they discuss it among themselves. Oh, man, who forgot to bring lunch? John, Andrew, dude, who, who's going to tell Jesus we didn't bring his food? Who's going to say, Jesus, um, your lunch is a little bit delayed. How delayed? It ain't here. So that's what they're talking about. And then Jesus addressing the teaching of the Pharisees. says, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees. They say, oh, he's saying this because we forgot bread. 
And when he realized what I was like, what? You think I'm teaching you because you forgot me? Didn't I feed? Let's walk back through some recent history. Remember when you just had a Lunchable and we fed 20,000 people? And remember when it happened again and we felt another large amount of people? Yeah. So, so why are you tripping that you forgot lunch? If I provided for you then and then I did it again, don't you think I can handle this small group? It's just 13 of us. You think for some reason I can feed 20,000, not 13? What are they saying? Know your history with me. And then one time when Jesus sent them out two by two, he gave them specific instructions. He said, hey, leave your weapons at home, leave your money at home, all this. Don't take a bag with you. And when you read it through, it's like, well, that's some weird instructions. But when you get to Luke 22, when they're at the table at the Last Supper, he asks them to remember. He said, remember when I told you to go out two by two and to leave everything at home? Yeah, he said, did you lack anything? No, sir, we didn't. Now that you know this, pick up everything and let's go. What does Jesus tell them to do? Remember. Remember your history with me. Remember what I've done before. I will do it again. So we get to 2 Corinthians 1.10, and Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and says, God delivered us in the past. He's delivered us now, and we trust he will deliver us in the future. What does Paul tell them the, the church of Corinth? I have a history with God. He's delivered me several times before. He's delivered me right now. And he's the guy who does deliver. You have to look at the faithfulness of God in your past and be able to prophesy to your future. Go to Leviticus, excuse me, go to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. While I turn there, I want to read to you Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is the faithful God the faithful God that keeps his covenant. Lamentations 3, verse 22. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Know your covenant and know your history with God. Because by the covenant and the history of God, you have seen the faithfulness of God. That he's kept his word. He's kept his promises. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping and the covenant you have with God today is not even based on your obedience. 
the covenant you have today, you're a beneficiary. It's a covenant between God and Jesus. Jesus did everything right. He did it right. Your job is to believe and wake up every day and fight the good fight of faith. Not expecting to fight, but expecting to win. Because you know your covenant and you know your history. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, glory to Jesus forevermore. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that we have a covenant. As Hebrews 8, 6, our covenant is even better than the covenant of the old. It's a new covenant based on better promises. So we thank you for that covenant. We thank you for our history with you. For the many times you've healed us. The many times you delivered us. The many times you preserved us. The many times you protected us. The many times you've helped us. The many times you've led us. The many times you've strengthened us. We thank you as the saints who say, we thank you for the dangers you deliver us from the scene and the unseen. Things that haven't even occurred to us that you protected us from. Thank you. Great is your faithfulness. We thank you that your mercies are new to us every single morning. They don't refresh every morning because we did something good. They refresh every morning because you are good. And your mercy endures forever. We put our faith in you, not in our ability. We put our faith in your covenant, not in us. We put our faith in your ability, not our lack of ability. Because by you, we could run through a troop. By you, we can leap over a wall. With you, all things are possible to them that believe. And we believe you. We believe your word. We believe your covenant. Great is your faithfulness towards us. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.